and welcome to our deep dive conversation. Today's session, we're going to be talking about sacred work, the path to transforming happiness in life, career, and business, question mark. Okay. So my name is Jane Morillow, and this is a topic that is totally aligned for me as the founder of Sacred Changemakers, which is a new community committed to creating a better world for us all. One where individuals lead meaningful lives and bring forward their soul work into the world. And as you can see, I have with me today some exceptional guests who I will introduce you to in just a moment. Now, these are individuals who have a unique perspective on our question and in their own ways have a lived experience of this, bringing forward their sacred work in service to the world. So let me introduce you to our guests. We're so pleased that we have with us today Ariana Tikel. Ariana is a founding partner of Corp X Coach and director of the science at Science of Happiness at Work and Coaching of the Eye Opener Institute with over 12 years of happiness at work research. Welcome, Oriana. Thank you, Jane. It's wonderful <laughs> to be here. Thank you. So happy to have you with us. Next, we're excited to have Oge Okosieme joining <laughs> us. <laughs> Did I get that right? <laughs> Okay, joining us, and Oge is the creator of The New Human Experience, a framework for the contemporary visionary who wants to create new experiences. So welcome, Oge. Oh, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to this conversation, and I'm pleased to be here. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you with us. We really Thank are. you. And uh, finally, we're thrilled to introduce Paul Zelizer. Now, Paul is the founder of Awarepreneurs, a global network of social impact entrepreneurs and businesses. And he's the host of the fast-growing Awarepreneurs podcast and a conscious business coach. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for having me, Jane. Thanks for holding <laughs> the circle. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so thrilled to have all of you with us today. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited, guys, about this conversation. So let me open our conversation today and i want to start by really setting the context we have which is this topic of happiness at work because you know undoubtedly i'm sure that a lot of our audience are aware of the fact that you know we live in a world where job dissatisfaction has reached well you could say epidemic proportions in fact you know one recent survey that i came across was putting it as like upwards of 80% of employees really hate their jobs which is strong mm -hmm. language and this is not good news you know it points to something being well out of whack in some way and whenever I see this kind of research I I actually feel quite alarmed because this amount of unhappiness must be kind of seeping into the fabric of our lives and our health and our well-being in some way so I'd love to ask you guys as our panel today you know what's your take on this gosh well shall I start Jane <laughs> yes please do um at the Eye Opener Institute, we've been researching this, like you mentioned, for the last 12 years. And we've had about, I think it's about over 60,000 people who've answered our questionnaire now. Right. So we've got a pretty good idea about the different elements that come together that mean that people will be happy at work. Mm. And the overwhelming evidence is that the people who are happier are more productive, mm. which makes the fact that makes it so that 
people investing in the happiness of their employees and the general well-being in the workplace is something that's worth doing it's much more than a nice to have mm. it's something that really makes sense for companies to be doing yeah and it's so good to hear that because you know often when we think about things like happiness at work and things that kind of fall under the positive psychology banner there's a tendency to think of them as like soft skills and you know okay it's a bit like i don't know it's a bit esoteric you know do we really need happy people at work and what you're saying is we do organizations do for their performance and their productivity mm -hmm. which is really good to know it is it is and you know what strikes me as i think about it is there's some underlying assumptions that i've noticed with some of my clients around things like happiness at work and i'd love to know what you guys think about it because those assumptions point to what i've talked about there about um like it's a soft skill so it's not really something that affects the bottom line in a capitalist organization maybe but also that there's something that I've come across here in America more than I've come across in Europe, if I'm honest, which is this idea that, and I've actually, I've actually had a leader say this to me, which is maybe work is just boring and depressing anyway. So trying mm -hmm. to put into it like some kind of making it more than the mundane for some people is just false hope. <laughs> what do mm -hmm. we say to that? <laughs> I think I would I would agree with that, Jane. Certainly, my um, experience with the with the clients I work with and my own experience is, we can't take this out of the context of larger changes that are happening globally and our Earth. I like to say that planet Earth is rebranding. So we are all kind of going along in that journey. And so there's a lot happening. The way we used to value work has changed. And the way the individual was trained to value work has changed. But there's so much changing for us in terms of how we even see what work means anymore. And for me, my experience is what is happening is people are not satisfied anymore just going and producing just for the sake of producing, just for the sake of economics, just for the sake of another meal on the table. We're now at the stage where we are really questioning um, what, what is our expression in that producing so we're not we're not prepared to be drones anymore and i think that's where the dissatisfaction is coming from as well is we've been programmed at some level to come at work as drones and individuals it's the importance of the individual now because the individual now is not saying it's now saying hang on a minute i'm not a drone I'm here, I'm here with a purpose, and my purpose is not just going to work and putting car parts together, unless that is something that is truly satisfying to you. So I think we can't, we, we need to talk about this within the context of Earth herself rebranding and things changing. Mm. Yeah, to build on what Oke okay was saying, leaders 
maybe you put your ears and your fingers for, I mean, put your fingers in your, <laughs> this isn't, this isn't meant for leaders. You can listen leaders, but I want to say to the average person who's going to work and feeling unhappy, you should be. Yeah. There's a really good reason you're unhappy. And that is from an impact. I'm coming from an impact entrepreneur perspective. Mm-hmm. The large majority of work on planet earth is not synced up with the average person's values. And like Olga was saying, mm-hmm we are like headed off a cliff (laughs) in terms of life on planet earth. And there's some intuitive knowing for a lot of people who are going to work and feeling like, well, this is what I'm asked to be do at work, this widget or this metric that I'm supposed to meet or this process or these number of sales and my values, something deep in my being is saying we are in, I get teased all the time about this. And I'd use the word poignant, right? We are in a poignant moment. I love your rebranding, okay, right? We are in a poignant moment as a human family living on, on planet Earth and something inside of many people is saying, this is a really poignant moment and these metrics, this framework, this stuff that I'm being asked to do at work and my values and my deepest being is saying something needs to shift here, but I go to work and I hear go sell more stuff go make more stuff. And that's, there's a, there's a disconnect between what our, why is this self is asking us to do on planet earth right now, if we're paying attention and what I'm hearing, the dialogue, the frameworks, the measures, the encouragements, the day-to-day realities that are being asked of me as an employee. And that gulf keeps getting wider and wider and wider from an impact entrepreneur perspective. So if you're up, if you're feeling a disconnect and feeling unhappy, I would start with saying there's nothing wrong with you. Can I I come in on that? Because I'd like to just bring in the, what we found out in our research, because there are a lot of questions that people when they're unhappy can be asking themselves. And when you can get to the bottom of what it is that's making you unhappy at work and really understand it, then that's when you can start to make the change in your own life, in your own work life. And so where we, where we come from when we're trying to take this to pieces and find out what makes people happy and what people need in order to be happy at work, we need, to be able, we need to feel commitment. We need to be able to feel the commitment both to ourselves as individuals and to the organization that we work in. Um, feeling a sense of purpose. Do I fit in the culture that I'm working in? Is there that feeling of friendship, of camaraderie? Am I allowed to be, can I, do I feel efficacy? Do I really feel that I'm doing my best and being my best self at work? And do I have a voice? And perhaps the voice piece is the most important one. Am I heard? Am I seen? And am I respected? And I think that the answer that we come up with, answering to, both of, to what both of you have just been saying, is that a lot of people aren't feeling that. But it's such a big subject that it's really hard to take it to pieces. And that's what we've been trying to do for the last 10 or 12 years. Take this to pieces so that we can start building it in a more positive way in the future. Mm. 
And that's why I love where this conversation is going because there's so many perspectives to this. It's almost like a diamond with lots of different edges to it. You know, if we look at it from the perspective of the individual, for example, an employee, you know, who may be at the front line, maybe feel they're at the bottom of the organization, there can be even despair down there, right? And so what you're talking about there, Oriana, is you're you're giving guideposts for leaders, for organizations, because what we're really talking about in this context here of this bigger world change that, that we're going through and being called to is this idea that we need to reshape organizational life and organizational culture. And we need to reshape maybe leadership within organizations <laughs> too, so that we can align to what is really needed and what is really being asked of us here. So I actually want to come back to Paul and Oge a minute, because I love what you just said there, Oriana. And I get that this is a complex issue. And I agree with all of you. <laughs> and it's this idea of there was a little bit that I picked up when I was listening to you both that felt a little bit hopeless and a little bit helpless, almost as though organizations couldn't do that. So I'd love you to speak to that. <laughs> no, for me, it is more um, a question of approach for, yeah. for starters. Um, the, the, the point of view that I take is if you look at us as a world at the moment, the underlying thing is that people are bored. <laughs> I actually think that everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people and the energy around is that we are bored with the same old, same old. And it's showing up in terms of unhappiness and it's turning, showing up in terms of dissatisfaction. For me, it's pure, simple boredom. I can't say this enough. We're looking for something new. We're looking for new experiences. And it's not so much that it's a hopeless case. It's like how we're currently addressing it. It's still fixating on the current experiences that we're bored with. And to create a new experience, I think rather than trying to fix the problem, even rather than trying to take it apart and, and look at the elements and fix it, the question for me is what is a new experience we want to create? Because the minute you ask people, what is this new experience you want to create? People start to light up. That's where you get people's voices. And that's where you start to hear people say, do you know what, really, I'm bored with same old, same old. I want to create something different. And that's why I started with um, Mother Earth is rebranding, because she's creating something different. And we are part of that ecosystem. So the question for me is always, what do you want to create that's new? And the hopelessness you maybe picked up is kind of despair in terms of let's stop fixing. There is nothing to fix. Let's start creating again and create something different. Let's dare. That's what people are asking for. They want to dare to do something different. I love that. I do. And, you know, in a way it speaks to also for me, when I'm listening to that, okay, it speaks oh. to the whole scale ecosystem of change that's needed yeah. at all levels right now. Mm -hmm. it really is. 
So I want to throw another thing in the mix because as I was preparing for this conversation, I came across something that I hadn't really thought about. And it's the paradox of happiness at work, which is this idea that, you know, if we're all supposed to be happy at work, doesn't that just become another thing we've got to do, another burden of responsibility for us? That's another thing in the psychological contract with our employer that we're meant to do. I wondered what you guys thought of that. <laughs> well, I certainly have some ideas about that, Jane. Lovely. Because I, I think it's, I think it's a, a responsibility that goes both ways. Mm. Paul, you said earlier on, leaders, put your fingers in your ears. <laughs> and I actually really want the leaders to be hearing this. <laughs> well, Ariana, you know what happens when you tell somebody to put their face, they listen more carefully, all right? My belief is that this is something that goes both ways. So when I started by saying that as individuals, we can ask ourselves questions about our, our happiness and work and what it means to us and where it comes from. I also think that it's a responsibility on, part, on the part of leaders and organizations to be mm -hmm. thinking about this, which is something that, as we, as we all know, people really haven't been thinking about much up until now. Do we need legislation for it and stuff like that? Well, perhaps we do in order to get it into place. But what we really need is a change in thought on the part of leaders. Mm. And for leaders to be thinking about positive leadership. Yesterday, the first three days this week, I was working for a large institution here in Mexico who are putting most of their people through a process of creating committed teams through positive psych psychology at work and they then want to roll this out to the whole organization we're talking tens of thousands of people here and that to me is a sign of such hope that things can be done differently yeah. because when leaders start thinking about things differently and they start creating the change then it comes from the top down and we can also be creating it from the bottom up mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm glad you spoke to that, the both ways thing, because I, I was kind of sat here thinking, well, like whose responsibility is it really? And, and really, can I give my own sense of happiness and expect someone else to create the conditions for that for me? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Really. It's an interesting idea that, you know, it's a two way street. There's responsibility on both sides. So, you know, when we think about like happiness at work and we think about our audience, people listening in now, I mean, what's our sense of, is this something that we think we ought to be creating? Is this a good thing to have in the workplace or not? I mean, I'd love to hear what, because I haven't got a sense of what you think. I think Ariana, I would say you're probably a yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> okay, and Paul, I mean, what's your sense of that? Is it a good thing from your perspective? Only if a business wants to make money. Okay. <laughs> There's okay. a lot of research, right? So here's what I'd say. <laughs> Businesses that are missing the opportunity to engage their employees are stagnating or mm -hmm. losing ground. It's right. just the research is off the charts. It's one of the reasons, like, 
I so bow down to people who work with large organizations like Oriana, and I love working with entrepreneurs and small to medium-sized businesses that really walk the edge in the direction of meaning, purpose, and values, because they get this. And that's why the reason you see small to medium-sized businesses, when they get their culture right, have the opportunity to have mm -hmm. such dynamic contribution and and incredible growth and really move the needle way beyond their weight class <laughs> or the size organization they are. And I, I just find that really fun, really exciting, really dynamic. I'm actually super optimistic, but um, I focus there because that's where the innovation is. And it's really fun to play in those spaces. And I can think of, you know, I have a podcast with 111 episodes. That's all I do is go find people who are doing that what feels really values aligned work. And we talk about how they created it, the why, the values. We spend a lot of time on the why, and then we get into the what, what are their revenue streams and how do they market? But that why, when you really listen, I'm thinking of a recent interview. I think you might be interviewing him, Jay, and a guy named Roberto Milk at Novica.com. He's got a fabulous company that's impacted 75,000 traditional artisans, indigenous people who are trained in a craft or an art form that's culturally based and it's cultural uh, preservation through the lens of social entrepreneurship. The guy's a genius. He's totally rocking it. And one of their, pri their primary company value is not make more money and sell more crafts. It's happiness for indigenous artisans. And they've impacted 75,000 people's lives. So that's the waters I swim in. And what I see is that when those values match, what the leadership is bringing forth into the world. And it's not just like some pretty sheet that hangs up on a wall when you walk into the office. This guy and the other people in my orbit, they breathe it, they, they stay up late at night thinking about how can they continue to innovate in a direction of more happiness, more values, more positive impacts. Not how do I drive a fancier car, get my 17th house. Roberto lives well, but he's not, trying to get a private jet plane. That's not what motivates him. What motivates him is more happiness for indigenous artisans so they can stay in their communities and attract the next generation into an economically viable way to live their culture. That is fabulous. And the people that work for this organization go over and above and they produce like way above expectation year after year for 20 years now that there's an incredible amount of excitement for me in those types of companies. And when you listen to people at any level of the organization, when they dial in that kind of culture, the amount of enjoyment and like, like going to work becomes a sacred act. Not just how do I become a little happier to Paul Zelizer, that is the least inspiring conversation we could possibly have it. I want people to like go to work and say, it's sacred what I'm doing, whether I'm answering phones or cleaning out the garbage can or like I'm the CFO, I don't care when the culture's right. That's what people say. And I want more of that on planet Earth. Mm. Yeah. 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 And I can hear you speak there to like there's some underlying assumptions there that like if people have more meaning, if they understand their place in the bigger picture of the organization, if they know that they're contributing something that's bigger than them, whether that's the organizational mission, vision, whether that goes further to planet Earth and social impact, it makes a difference. That line feels important in what you're saying there, Paul. It's what inspires me and it's how, like I, 
go to work feeling like I, I, I get on my knees like and just like thank you that I get to do this work and talk to people like you all in conversations like there's nothing else it's not like I'd rather be like fill in the blank I mean there's a lot of things I love to do but when I go to work it's like such an honor and a privilege and such a sacred act because it's so highly values aligned to help people like on this call and like Roberto do more of what they do well and teach other people, help other people learn from what people are doing. In this poignant moment on planet earth, there's nothing. I'm not like dreaming of my vacation to Paris. Like Paris sounds cool, but like I'd rather be here with you all. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. If I was in Paris, I'd still do this call, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I want to add to that to add to what Paula said is also the idea of expression. I think for me also the the, the happiness is a byproduct of us as individuals, as you can hear, I'm really for the individual because I do know that without the individual, we don't even have these organizations where we're talking about. So it really has to start from the individual as well. And for each individual, it is also about feeling that we can express as much of ourselves. And expression is not just speaking, it's through our art, it's through however we choose to express. It's through cleaning the streets, it's through um, caring for our children. But that expression needs to come from us, from a meaningful place. And then we can bring that together and then happiness then becomes a byproduct of that. So I don't necessarily think it's focusing necessarily on happiness, but focusing, like Paul said, on the culture on the values on your expression and being seen. I think it's so important for, for individuals now to be seen and heard. And the more we are seen and heard, it doesn't even matter if there's a difference. We can, we can find a way to play with difference. Difference is good, but let's hear it. Let's be seen. Happiness comes as a byproduct of that. So Ariana, I'd love to hear if what Paul and Oge are talking about there actually shows up in your data because it sounds like in a way we're all saying some of the same things there's some definitely some overlap in the conversation here and I just wondered you know particularly I'm interested in Paul's point about the sacred and Oge's about the full expression um, mm -hmm. I'd love to hear whether they show up in the data around this what we've, I mean, I think that it's, we definitely need to start from the position that it is a two-way street. Mm. And to bring in my personal piece on this, when I first started studying happiness, it was probably one of the most unhappy moments of my life. Mm. Because I started to understand more and more about what happiness, what happiness is built around and how it happens and mm. that it is a byproduct. I absolutely agree with you, Agate, that... And yet, when you start to think more and more about happiness, the harder it becomes to, under, to really be able to enjoy that happy moment because you're asking yourself questions about it. Yeah. Um, and when you bring that into the work context, 
if you're questioning yourself and how happy you are all the time yeah. and taking all the responsibility on yourself and not recognizing that you're working in an organization that makes you miserable because they're not thinking about the leadership styles, the ways of doing things and how, how things happen within this organization. It has to be two ways because otherwise it becomes your fault that you're not happy. And you assume the responsibility of, of being unhappy because you're in an organization which is actually not designed to even think about happiness. And so my, my take on that is that we, we really need to be thinking about how to make organizations into more positive places, which will have the knock-on effect that people as individuals will be happier and, and it will become easier to bring the two things together. It strikes me, you know, listening to you that happiness is a very kind of, well, it's very personal. It's, it's almost like an intimate relationship I have with myself. And I, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, actually, so what's bubbling up for me is this question, if I'm not present with myself, if I'm not, and one of the words I'd use is in flow, personally, can I ever really be happy? <laughs> well, positive psychology definitely, definitely wants people to be finding states of flow. Mm. And whether that's when you're painting, cooking, working, whatever it might be, to be able to find those moments of flow is just magical, as I think mm. we all know. And when you're one of the fortunate people who can also find moments of flow at work, not just when I'm doing the things that I'm choosing to do, then that's, that's where the two things start coming together. So let me pivot a little bit here because I'm interested in happiness and its relationship to the sacred and particularly with our title, sacred work. I mean, You've talked about it already, Paul. Okay, I think you've started to allude a little bit to it. But like, what role does this idea that the work that I'm doing has a sacred calling or a sacred space around it, or I have a sacred relationship with it? What's that got to do with us feeling happier or maybe finding more meaning in what we're doing daily? I've thought about this a lot, if you don't mind, Jane. Yeah. Um, my original training is in um, awareness-based counseling and human change processes. So think mindfulness-based stress reduction. And one of the things that helped me kind of pivot from working as like kind of a counselor and a change agent one-on-one -on -one to working in like from counselor to business coach, how did that happen, right? Um, but some very wise teachers helped us understand in our training and then like as I continued on the journey wisdom teachers tell us that our attention is our most precious resource right they could take Nahan right he's so articulate about you know just sit for a moment with the idea in a modern economy the average adult spends more time working than anything else we do right I love my daughter I love my friends I like to trail run I love to play music I work more than I do any of those things, 
more than I meditate, more than I do yoga, more than I work out, right? And I work less than the average American, the average person in probably most industrial economies, right? So from just a pure reason, the word sacred, or maybe we can use the word spiritual or energetic or soul, whatever the word is for the listener, just from a pure understanding whatever's deepest in us, if it has something to do with what we give attention to, our modern economy almost forces us or certainly strongly encourages us or it's designed such that the majority of our waking hours go into work. So if, as wisdom teachers tell us, that our attention is our most sacred thing, absolutely most sacred, right? And it doesn't matter whether you're talking Buddhism or Jewish or Muslim or somebody from a native tradition in Africa or Australia or the elders at Taos Pueblo, they'll tell you your attention matters. It's sacred. And we're spending most of our hours at work. So if we don't sync up that attention is sacred and we're spending a lot of time at work, we get this huge disconnect. <laughs> but as soon as somebody started to help me make that connection, it's like, oh, oh I get, it's already sacred because my attention is already here. And what do I then do with that attention, right? It's classic awareness-based process changes, whether the change we're trying to make is I'm eating more sugar than is good for me. Well, don't try to stop eating sugar. First, just pay attention to what's going on when you're eating sugar or like drinking too much, or I'm in a relationship pattern that doesn't serve. It's, it's awareness 101. Be mindful of what's happening right now before you try to change anything. And you'll start to see leverage points and choice points. And like, oh, I didn't think I had a choice there. But actually, when I binge on sugar, I tend to have certain emotions. And if I want to eat less sugar, I need to like start to get more skillful with these emotions that normally lead to this other thing that I don't really, I feel terrible when I eat the whole thing of ice cream and I, my body doesn't feel good and I put on weight. And, ugh, I don't want to do that. Right. So anyway, that was like an incredible journey for me that 13 years later, I'm now like conscious business coach and have this podcast and a community. There is an incredible amount of leverage in just noticing that attention is sacred and most of our waking hours at work. And you start to really explore there and oh my goodness, do things open up in this conversation. Yes, and attention is so important. Where we put our attention, and like you say, we're doing so much at work, so many hours at work, that I really believe that it's worth investing time, effort, money, and everything into making the workplace a better place to be. Making leaders into the leaders who can do that, both for themselves and for other people. And as I mentioned, that, that the word flow at work, when you can find those moments of flow in your day-to-day -day work, you are one of the most fortunate people in the world. Okay, I feel like I want to bring you in. I'm not sure why, but I've got a sense that I don't know. I feel like is. I want to say something. I'm not sure what. But <laughs> uh, something around the whole idea of work actually is, is like twinging at me. That's the word. The whole idea that made that 
perhaps we need to start redefining what exactly work means and how we organize ourselves around work. And I'm, I'm saying that because there is also, there's something for attention there, but there's also something for presence, like you started to speak about, Jane. And at the moment, because we don't understand the magnitude of presence, I think a lot of it is not devalued, but not valued in the way it can be because there's different kinds of productivity. When we're talking about work and we're talking about productivity, a lot of what we've been talking about here is the outward productivity, the stuff that you see, but there's also the inward presence. There's also those of us that are around, and I wanna take it to the sacred in that way. Those of us that are around that actually do a lot of productive work in the way we hold energy and hold presence for everyone else to show up. So there's a conversation I would like to have around that. It may not be here, but a wider conversation I'd like to have around how, how we are defining work and how we're defining productivity. What is productive? Because generally at the moment, productive is what you see outwardly. But I can tell you categorically that inward productivity is just as valuable. Ask any mother, for example, who's had to hold the energy for her children and her family for something to grow. She'll tell you she's doing some work there. So that's what I'm mulling over. And that might have been what you picked up. It's like, oh, <laughs> I, totally I want to redefine yeah. work. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Because I actually think there's value in what Oriana's saying. I think there's value in what you're speaking to, Oge and Paul. And it's interesting for me because I can flip-flop between the two. Like, oh. If I'm in an organization and I'm talking to leaders and I'm thinking, what can we do now? Mm -hmm. Right. I, I, I'm totally with Oriana and we need to redefine where we are now and make some changes and make it better. And then I step out of the organization and then I will then think about what is the world I want to live in. Mm -hmm. And when I connect to a future that is so uncertain and so undefined and that transition from where we are now to where I would like us to be is so very different it's, it's like I'm more on the other side now and I'm thinking actually what we need is a whole scale transformation. We, this is a complex issue. I think work's gonna be redefined. I think organizational life is going to be redefined whether we want it or not. And it reminds me of a little bit of um, where we are in the world reminds me of Kodak 10 years ago mm. when they had all the patents for digital photography and yet the senior team and I actually I wasn't working with them but I did know them a little bit was um, were saying we don't want to we don't want to bring this into our business because it's on, going to undermine our core offering and it's almost like I feel some tensions in organizations around this conversation we're having now mm. saying I don't, we don't want to think about redefining the whole thing, the whole economy, because that's way too big for any one of us to hold. And we don't want to undermine the lifestyles we've got today for climate change. We don't want to undermine or give up some of the luxuries we've created in this world because of that. And I'd love you to speak to that 
in some way. I mean, what's your sense of it? Is that generally or okay? Everybody, anybody. (laughs) There's a word that's wanting, that's bursting to come out of me, which is the the word sustainability Mm. and how my real belief is that we need to become sustainable human beings. And what does that mean? It means that we need to be using the right light bulbs and recycling our paper and doing all those things that are associated with sustainability. But we also need to be sustainable as individuals, which means managing our energy, being aware of what's going on around us, being aware of the choices that we're making, being aware of when burnout is on its way, being aware of what I need to do in order to make myself into a sustainable human being first, before I can go out and be in service to anybody else, or even, and and so sustainable leadership is one of the things that I love to talk about, which is how people as leaders can be creating the right structure within which they can be, the people around them and everybody can be sustainable human beings within a sustainable business model in a sustainable world. Amen. (laughs) No, it's true. And, you know, there's another piece as I'm listening to you there. Like, I agree with everything you've said. And there's something that's kind of, I don't know what it is inside of me as I listen to you, but it's something around the certainty with which you speak. Because the other side of it for me is we can... So I'm going to pick up on something that I think it was Paul you said earlier. We can play at sustainability. We can define it. We can think we're certain about what it is and we can do it. And then we can pat ourselves on the back and say, aren't we doing well? Right. And of course, if we are truly going to live in the ecosystem of the world, if we're going to live as though we're interconnected with everything, I just feel that from where we're coming from, We have so many biases, so many things that we're probably not even aware of yet playing into this space that we have to face our own vulnerabilities. We have to face the uncertainty of it all. I don't know. (laughs) And therein lies the fun. For me, I suppose it is about because that's where the fun is. The fun is the in, the unknown right now. It is in that uncertainty. So it is, again, about getting comfortable with the uncertainties. It's, it's in a way, we've been trained in our current world that if something is certain, then that's good, quote unquote. And perhaps where we need to move to and begin to explore is what's wrong with being uncertain? What's wrong with the unknown? What's wrong with playing in what we don't know right now? Why can't we play there? For me, right now, that's where the juice is. I think going back to that perhaps is because of my particular approach. I am bored with certainty. I'm bored with 
switch the light on and it goes on, switch it, it goes off. I want to try something else. What if you switch it sideways? You know, I was talking to someone the other day and he was talking about God and he said, yeah, and God is up there. And I said, hang on a minute. What if God is sideways? Let's just explore. God could be sideways. So there's, you know, <laughs> there's that element of stuff. What's wrong with uncertainty? And that might be a conversation that we need to weave in to all the happiness stuff as well. Once we make that okay, then the happiness will flow from it. And I can tell you what some of my clients would say about what's wrong with uncertainty yeah. and playing is for them, like the way it's structured, everything, fear comes in. Yes. Like fear. Like, yes. like, I can't do that. Like, I've got my performance review coming up. I've got stakeholders. I've got profitability. I've got, you know, things that I have to achieve daily, weekly, yes. monthly, quarterly, yearly. Uh, and I'd love to come over there with you, Ogay. But, but I have my responsibilities over here. But fear is an indication that you're not trusting yourself. That's it. So we can start to approach it from there. Fear is an indication of not trusting or not trusting that process. So again, it doesn't make the uncertainty wrong per se. It just means that there's something in the process of trusting that we can begin to address. Yeah. Just to build on that, as somebody who's really interested in neuroscience, when we're in a place of fear, we don't have access to our full resources. We're not bringing our best selves to work. And again, from a kind of mindfulness perspective, it makes sense, at least to me, that people are afraid. There's, there's big things going on in the world. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay right like i'm with you i get i get scared too right um but pretending that there's no room for the fear i'm eh, not sure that's gonna then we're stuck in a uh, nervous system response and it's kind of beyond this call but if somebody's interested we can like talk i'm a neuro geek we can talk that right but what happens is we then go into the more we stay in the like just put the blinders on performance review, this like quarterly profit, we miss the big picture. We miss what our deepest resources are encouraging us to do. We miss our deepest values. We miss our whatever is larger than ourselves. There's no room for it at work. Performance review and quarterly profits, that's not how my understanding of what's larger than Paul works. That's not what it asked me to do. It's asked me to sit and to come into this moment that we're incredibly poignant moment for a human family living on this beautiful earth. And there's beautiful things and there's really scary things happening all at the same time. And part of my job is, as I understand it, is to step into that conversation and be like, wow. <laughs> whoa <laughs> this is gorgeous and oh my gosh and whoa and like how do you even begin to respond to this skillfully again from mindfulness it's like stop pretending that there aren't things to be scared of and certainly don't shut off what's beautiful and gorgeous about this planet and what we love the most right and that all i can only bring my best self to work is if i take off the blinders and the reason the blinders is on is because the fear 
but you put the blinders on and now you can't see the beauty and the creativity. You can't access that. And you're kind of guaranteeing you're going to drive that team, that company, your job, your whatever resources are being entrusted to you, they will be underutilized and underoptimized as soon as you put the blinders on. Just from pure neuroscience, right? It's just how human nervous systems work. We either take it all in, the full spectrum, and there's incredible possibility there, or we're, you know, there's a continuum, or we put on the blinders. We really put on the blinders. We just like make absolutely no possibility for innovation, creativity, new solutions, mm -hmm. new possibilities in our nervous system. We don't get both ways. It does not work that way from a neuroscience. You're paying attention or you're not paying attention. You're somewhere on that continuum. And the more you shut down because of fear, the more you lose the possibilities that come with the beauty, the love, the creativity, and the innovation. And that's something that in the work that I think we all do, all four of us, as coaches, consultants, etc. what we're doing is bringing what Oge is talking about. We're bringing that disruptive element to our clients and helping them to see this moment. I love the way that you're talking about it being a poignant moment, Paul. Um, oh, you're going to start teasing about me, <laughs> teasing me that out there too, huh? No, 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 no. Not yet. I don't know you well enough. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> but yes, recognizing the poignancy of the moment, how vulnerable and how sensitive we all are to this moment. And yet, as people who work with our client, you know, having clients and having people who are who trust us to do, to be their best coaches, to help them find them their best selves, then the element of disruption that Oge is talking about is so necessary. We need, we need to be creating different thought patterns. And within that, having the positive emotions, having the whole gamut of emotions, because we can't just be stuck in the positive emotions, but being able to savor and recognize both ends of the scale without putting those blinkers on. And for that to happen large scale, which is of course my dream, that's what I would really, really like to see happening in the world, you know, huge differences and leaders being different, yeah. then be, being able to find what people need from their leaders, being able to help leaders be the best leaders they can be, find that inspirational place where people can be working from just is, is that that's what really inspires me yeah i think that's true i really do i think that's true for all of us actually um i think that is an inspirational like vision for the world and where we'd like it to go but i, I want to come back to this thread that we have running through this conversation of like happiness at work the idea of sacred work as giving individuals and organizations more meaning but then this other idea that i'm going to bring in which is you know the world and business particularly work becoming a force for good which okay you talked we've all talked about it in our own ways and I just wonder about that thread that runs through this conversation and how idealist it might feel to some people who are listening and how far away it might and yet how hopeful 
we can be and how practically we can start to bring this into reality. I'd love your thoughts on that. I've got some very concrete thoughts and experiences that I can share. Yeah, please do. Which is um, the university that I work with here in Mexico, who are called Big Millennial. Six years ago, they founded what they called the Institute for Happiness. And through the Institute for Happiness, I've, I've been part of all these training courses. We've trained 3,000 people within the organization in the basics of positive psychology and how to bring it to the context. And so that, to me, is really powerful because it means that we're creating workplaces that are different, where the sense of purpose and, and their purpose as a university is for their, their students to have a purpose in life. So as well as learning all the technical or, you know, the stuff that you actually think that you're going to go to university to learn, one of the things that there's a lot of focus on is making sure that each pupil and each person who works there feels that they have a purpose in life. When you fill in your bio form for them, the set that goes name, purpose in life, experience, et cetera, et cetera. And you look at that and you think, oh my God, how am I going to answer that? <laughs> because it's part of why people want to work there and, and the, the why of doing stuff like that. And what we have there as well is a, is a master's degree in positive leadership where people have come out truly inspired to go back to their workplace, big multinational companies, to make the difference and make the change in the way that those organizations are working. So that to me is just, it, it's, it's the key to making the change in the world that we want. finding our tribe, finding the people who, who want to be doing this, which means that we're no longer lone idealists, right. but let's find the tribe. Paul, <laughs> Jane, here we are, <laughs> beginning. <laughs> yes, totally. And I think your point to something there that's very important is having community, having like-minded people around us when we're doing this work, because I know from in my experience, it can be challenging to be disruptive in this way, to not only talk about, but embody and inspire people into action in these new and uncertain ways of being and doing, which is really what it's demanding of all of us, which is for me what always brings me back to the sacred. Because if I were doing this work for myself, for my business, for money, I don't think I could do it. If I feel like it's a sacred calling, if it's in service of something bigger than myself, now I've got my ground. I can get behind it. And I just wonder how each of you feel, because I know we're all at the edges of our own industries and work in terms of this transformation. You know, how does that kind of land with you? at the edge of what you're doing. Long silence. I know. <laughs> I, feel, I feel that I've been talking a lot, but what I can say is that when, when you invited me, Jane, to come today, yeah. the word sacred um, scares me quite a lot when yeah. we want to be applying it to the world of work. Mm. 
because it's so big it's so very big and huge and it's about purpose it's about doing something that's bigger than me yeah it's about being involved in something that's much bigger than me and I think that's where that's where we're all at and to come back you know it is a very vulnerable vulnerable place to be yeah wanting to be involved in something that's so big and I want to thank you for saying that because I think that is a view that's shared by a lot of people because the word sacred, you know, it is big, like you're describing, but also we have so many biases, religious connotations attached to it, that one of my vocations in life really is to change and redefine the word sacred mm. in a way that makes it more palatable, more meaningful in all environments, really. Because I, I have a belief now that I've been working with this word for a while now, that actually, gosh, life is sacred in itself. Yeah. And that's where we all start, no matter who we are or what we do. And so thank you for giving voice to that because mm -hmm. I know you are not alone in that. And I, it's something I share too. There are times where I come out with the word sacred and everybody looks at me like I've gone bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> right on stages big stages i'll say the word sacred in fact more recently i've been talking about a sacred invitation which is a channel spiritual calling and an invitation to people right it's scary it's vulnerable but by us having these types of conversations we're opening opening people's eyes just a little bit wider to the world and what might be possible here Okay, guys, I'm feeling like we're at a natural space in the conversation. So I'm thinking of bringing this to completion now. And before I do, I'd just like to ask each of you, um, in whatever turn you want to do it, for just whatever's bubbling up for you in this moment, just something that you want to share with our listeners before we bring this mm -hmm. to completion. What is it? There's a story I would like to tell. Not too long ago, I was um, in a circle with people who were, Jane, you've heard this story, um, people who are working at the United Nations level. And there's some very, very smart people right now thinking about something called the Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs. In particular, my interest and invitation into that circle has to do with people who are using business in a very crisp way, social entrepreneurs specifically, that sync up with the 17 sustainability goals. There are people doing fabulous things on planet Earth, just fabulous things right now. And there's people with a lot of money on planet Earth who are looking around and saying that, whoa, their, their blinders are off. And one of the things that's incredibly exciting to me right now is that people with good ideas and who are having positive impact in real communities at scale and people who have money and want to make a difference in the world are starting to talk to each other in a way that's never, ever happened before. And money scales things. Money is a powerful tool. And in, so um, 
it's beyond the conversation of like how that all works, but go check out the SDGs or maybe Jane, you can put a link. Um, there's really, really smart people. And this conversation of people who have resources, but don't quite, you don't have to have a gazillion dollars, right? But if you have any amount of resources and you want to have impact, but you're not sure yet how to do it, there's really smart people who are saying, well, let's help get the resources in a way that's a win-win, you get a return, but the people who are doing the work can do more good work. And if you have something that's working and positively impacting other, others' lives, just know there's people who want to help you in to, to impact even more people than you already are with money or attention and media. There's like this global and it's literally at the UN. I'm not like overusing the word global. There is this global community of people who are collaborating, amplifying and learning from each other in a way that I have never experienced before. And I'm incredibly hopeful about that. If somebody wants more information, feel free to contact me. And these folks at the UN are using the word sacred. That's what made me think about it. They're literally saying, this is sacred work in exactly the way you were talking about, Jane. Life is sacred and business is where a huge portion of the harm and concern is coming from, we need to bring sacred attention into the realm of business and money. And some of the smartest minds of our planet right now are focused in on exactly that conversation. Brilliant. Thank you, Paul. I'm so glad you brought that in because the United Nations SDGs, those 17 goals, such an incredible like framework for the transformations and the problems and challenges we're facing. So, and it's so encouraging to know that, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I feel it's inevitable now because money's behind mm -hmm. it. Impact investing's behind it. The clean money revolution is here. <laughs> yeah. So um, if anything's going to change it, I think it's going to be the money flow. And it's so encouraging to see that. So thank you. One of the things that I looked at, I was talking to a colleague this morning about what we were going to be doing. And we were talking about Caroline, Caroline Meese and her work around the sacred contract as we were discussing the word sacred. And what I, I just opened the book and it opened on the page which said that sacred work is based on a solid foundation of knowledge and discipline. And I, I found that to be very wise words and very appropriate for what we're talking about today. Because in order to be the change agents, in order to make things happen, in order to get the leaders to think differently, in order to really make this change in the world, um, we need to be able to understand the complexity of what we're dealing with in order to be able to bring it down to earth and make it really simple for the people that we work with directly. Make it easy. We need to be able to find our way, navigate through this complexity in order to be able to make it simple and communicate it in an accessible way to, to everybody we have around us. And so that, that's really where my thinking is at at the moment. And I love that because it speaks to the polarities, the tensions in this space. You know, and it's no longer which side am I on? It's yes and let's go <laughs> kind of thing with all of it. Yeah. 
I uh, um, want to speak to the sacredness of the individual and to really speak to the power of the individual that we in in all of this vastness and sometimes it oftentimes it is overwhelming all the changes that are happening is to remember that as individuals that we are sacred and as individuals we actually have a lot more power than we give ourselves credit for and the the beginning of it is actually as you spoke about earlier jane is setting that intention and paul spoke to that about setting the intention and daring actually daring to go for what you want because as you do that then other energies begin to collate around you and you will begin to build your tribe but tribes start one person at a time one person has an idea they meet with somebody else somebody else somebody else so for me my thought here is for each of us to remember the sacredness of the individual without each one of us there is no business there is no organization there is no global tribe so it still comes back and starts with us. I love that, Oge. Mm. That was a perfect segue into what was bubbling up for me. <laughs> which is, it really was, which is, you know, and, and you're speaking to it in such a, an elegant way that are bringing the sacred into the individual. Because, you know, I, I notice how in my own work, everything starts with the individual it start and it actually starts in the inner journey the relationship with self and the stories we tell ourselves mm -hmm. and then the stories we believe we're living within and right now in the world there's a number of stories running around the challenges that we're facing as individuals as organizations you know and as the world at large so my sense was yes definitely to everything you've all said but also know that the sacred space starts within and be aware of the stories that you create for yourself mm -hmm. and how they're supporting the future you want to create for yourself but also be mindful and pay some attention at least to this bridge between the me and the collective the we the world because i i do believe that if we can all live as individuals in the world knowing we're connected and interconnected to all of life if we can follow the aliveness in our own lives and i think that will lead us somewhere to our communities to our tribes where we can start to gather and make a difference because if there's one thing i am certain of and there's not many things i'm certain of in the world today but one of them would be that not one of us can do this alone it's calm it's too complex a challenge we need to co collaborate co-create come together and to do that we need to value the individual and the collective and the space in between <laughs> so i love that oh my gosh this has been such a wonderful conversation i just want to thank each of you really i mean it's been so mind expanding for me to be talking to all of you in this yeah. so i just want to sh thank you for sharing your time and your energy and your wisdom with us today i know our listeners will have learned a lot you know 
from everything that's been shared and, and maybe even picked up, you know, some really interesting insights for themselves from our conversation. So thank you to each of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'd just like to thank um, all of you who are listening and watching to the recording. I do hope sincerely that you've got some insights that you can take away to consider your own sense of the sacred, what that might be for you as an individual and what that might mean for you in your life, how you give that expression in your work and how you can contribute and maybe become a force for good in our world because we definitely need you. <laughs> that is true. And, you know, I hope that you have a future on the horizon for yourself that is maybe even just a little bit bigger than the one that you're in today. And that's the space that we're all holding for you. And if you would enjoy being in a supportive community to accelerate your growth personally and professionally, whilst also becoming a force for good in the world, then we invite you to check out Changemakers Society, our sacred community where changemakers from all over the world come together to help shape a better future for us all. You can find out more at sacredchangemakers.com. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye for now. <laughs>